kids, tampons. It's 2022, and it's okay to say those words out loud in a sentence. Even though for some people, women's bodies and our health are still taboo topics. That's just one of the things that Dana Marlowe learned when she became an unexpected activist. Occasionally, there have been some men who are like, why are you focused on maxi pads and bras or tampons and underwear when you could be helping people with food insecurity or providing shelter? I do occasionally get that question from time to time, and usually it's by somebody who identifies as a man. I think it's a short-sighted question, right? When Marlo found out that a nearby shelter was in dire need of bras for the women who came there, she put together a Facebook page and rallied her neighbors. What was supposed to be a one-off gesture of kindness has turned into a global movement that allows women experiencing homelessness, impoverishment, or distress to stand tall with dignity. Hi, I'm Dana Marlowe, and this is a lesson on turning a moment into a movement. Dana, what is your earliest memory of being creative? When I was in grade school, I started making jewelry for myself and family members and friends. And as the years went on, I did some other just random artistic endeavors, particularly making Fimo beads or Fimo clay, the Millie Fury, the little oh, the polymer plastic clay, and then that cool. hardens and you could wear it as a single bead. It's a solidly 90s yeah. for any <laughs> listeners that are Gen X. That was one of the things. And then I started selling necklaces and bracelets and I started repurposing jeans and doing different kind of creative jeans work. But I think creativity has a lot of different angles. I spent a lot of my childhood building forts in our backyard or in the woods near a house. And I remember also making haunted houses in my basement or in other friends' homes for our parents and stuff that and doing silly things that I think also utilizes a lot of different creative elements. Tell me a little about I Support the Girls. What was your inspiration? Oh, Kim, it was an accident. I did not mean to start a global NGO. It was absolutely, a completely an accident. I have two amazing children, and I had gained some weight over a period of time after giving birth to my, my second child. And I was heads down focused on work and my family and I really wasn't spending any time on me. And I was getting my cup filled elsewhere. And eventually, after kind of a, I don't know, I guess some friends in Texas would, Texas would call it a come to Jesus moment with some friends over wine on the beach. I realized like, you really need to start exercising and eating better. And they were totally right. Hmm. And I took it to heart. And they're like, before you're 40, you should consider looking at that. The big 4-0 is the transformational moment. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So this was at 30. This was on my 39th birthday, basically that week. And I was like, all right, I can do that. I can give myself a year. I can set goals. This is doable. I literally got home from 
that vacation with friends and started exercising several times a week and started eating better. And lo and behold, I lost a considerable amount of weight basically by the next summer of 2015. And I basically needed new clothing. And I'm very public and very happy to share. Fashion is not my strong suit. I think that everybody has different passion, interests, hobbies, strengths, passions. Yeah. I can admire other people's fashion, but you're never going to be with me shopping and I'm going to be like, oh, that would look great. <laughs> not my jam. I have my own things that, that I like, but I wasn't going shopping for new clothing, and which also meant that I wasn't going shopping for new bras. And when you lose weight, of a considerable amount, everything changes. And also I'm 40 with two kids. Everything changes anyway. Mm-hmm. So like that whole double whammy things there aren't weren't weren't sitting where they used to sit. And so one day my my husband said to me, he said, D, you really gotta go shopping for some new bras. Your old bras are not working. They're not supporting you in any capacity the way you want them to. Mm-hmm. So I went out to the local lingerie store near my house. And as I was getting fitted, and for anybody listening who's not a bra wearer, if you're getting fitted and you've never been fit before, it's a really intimate, odd moment with a stranger <laughs> with a stranger in a small space. So you're putting a lot of trust in the awkwardness in the process, right? Mm-hmm. So they're basically having a flexible measuring tape around your chest to determine appropriate bra size for you. Mm-hmm. And the woman who was working with me that day in that random Soma outside of DC, her name is Deneen, and we're still in touch. And she got me fitted for new bras. But while she was fitting me, I had one of those light bulb moments. I turned to her and I said, what could I do with my perfectly good, but no longer fitting me bras? Right. And Deneen looked at me and she's like, homeless women need bras. Mm. And those four words have basically changed the course of my life. Why did she know that? What was her experience? So the store she worked for is a store called Soma Intimates. And at the time they had started a used bra donation collection twice Mm. a year in January and early July is when they were doing it back then in 2015. And they had just finished it. So she said, bring them back here, but we won't donate them until January. Or you could donate them on your own, obviously, so that they can get into the hands of people who need them before. Mm -hmm. And... I went home and I did some research. I'm super nerdy. This is a thing because a lot of the homeless shelters and domestic violence shelters and refugee agencies needed bras and new underwear, but all over their websites and their social media were like, we do not accept undergarments. You said that the shelters won't take the bras, but they need the bras. So they, what they is will, the legal language or what is the issue behind not taking the bras? Not to, they will take the bras. They don't want used undergarments, but what they don't want is used underwear for obvious right. reasons. They are Most shelters are absolutely happy to take wash, clean, used, good condition bras. They don't have the language on their websites to support that. So it's Why? easier for them just Seems to- an easy tweak. We take bras. This is slippery slope. On their behalf, what I can say is we're very clear that we do not, and I support the girls, we will take hundreds of thousands of pairs of new underwear in package or in tags. We do not accept underwear that is not in package or in tags. I don't even, I I could say used, but even if it's not used, but it's not in packaging or tags, I don't want it. We don't want to take it. Our volunteers don't want to touch it. No. And we receive every single day 
used underwear. Used underwear. So no matter how much we say in every email, we tweet about it, it's on our website, it's on our collateral, it's on our hard copy, people yeah. don't read. There's your answer. If people don't necessarily read and follow the instructions, so it's easier for them to say, we don't accept it and have a hard blanket rather than make the exception. But the truth was they needed these products. So were they fulfilling the need via donation then, I guess, before buying new bras for people? Is that what they were doing? They were just not getting anybody. So nobody was getting new bras. And so while I was on the phone with this particular shelter, I said, I don't know what I don't know. So what else do you all need? And he said, well, if you're willing to bring the bras, which we really need, would you consider bringing some maxi pads and tampons? That was the first time in my life I had thought about what it must be like to be a woman experiencing homelessness and having her period living on the streets here in D.C. where I live. Yeah. Month after month for five or six days on end and dealing with whether it's cramps or excessive bleeding or any of the other symptoms that go along with the menstrual cycle and what that has to be to have to choose between buying a box of tampons for yourself for that July or feeding yourself a hot meal or your child a hot meal for that night. That's a really awful decision to have to make. We spoke with someone from period equity about that very thing about the law. Did you talk to Jennifer or Laura? To Laura, actually. Laura. Laura's amazing. And Laura's about great. Yeah. the fact that period products are taxed, which is ridiculous. Correct. So right. if you want to listen to that episode, you can go ahead and listen to that. You guys should go check out Laura Straussfeld from period equity. Also Jennifer Weisswolf, who was instrumental and in also co-founding period equity. And they do an enormous amount of work to elevate the awareness that there are so many taxes on menstrual hygiene products still in a couple dozen states oh, in the U.S. it is ridiculous. But private jet parts are not taxed and neither are bingo dabbers. So there we go. Oh, fruit roll-ups aren't taxed in mm -hmm. some states. Bibles aren't taxed. Chainsaws aren't taxed. It's crazy. Also, Correct. what is interesting, I was surprised at the high number of homeless people in the D.C. area it actually has the most number of homeless women across the nation. An average of 42 for 10,000 women is homeless in D.C. And yeah, that, pretty high out here. And it's also with it's also caused the number one reason for homelessness is violence whether it's sexual violence or domestic Correct. Violence. We wound up at I Support the Girls having to create a handful of programs because of COVID really was a shock, obviously, to everybody's system. But when everyone was hoarding toilet paper in March 2020, mm -hmm. they were yeah. also hoarding pads and tampons. I, and wow. it, was, okay. it was very hard to get period products during COVID. And the other element that was really tricky was domestic violence was on the rise. And so that was a statistic we were sharing is that the most dangerous place for a woman during COVID was actually in her home. Yeah, because you couldn't leave and there were so many unfortunate ramifications that abusers were holding over the heads of their partner, in most cases, those that identify as women. So were you saying that partners were withholding the ability products products from their partners 
from their partners to a lot of people during COVID, right? The economy was really in the tank. People were laid off left and right. Businesses were closing. And so a lot of people were not permitting their partners to even go out and buy maxi pads or tampons. And we got, we received so many heartbreaking stories. And so we wound up having to send basically care kits, custom care kits to women around the country. And this program is still around today. It's our Dash Kit program, which stands for Dignity, Aid, Safety, and Hygiene. And from there, we've also launched our Flash Kits, which focus on uh, women and those experiencing menopause, pre, pre-menopause, post-menopause, and menopause. Our Slash Kits, which help folks that are trans and non-binary. And we have another kit launching like a very bespoke box that's mailed directly that's customizable. So the person chooses their size, their product preferences to one-time box kind of thing. And then, and we provide resources as well to get help in, in different communities. You start this obviously much needed, I don't want to say company, but much a charity. It's a nonprofit. Nonprofit. Um, yeah. The very beginning, it was yeah. very, very beginning, July, 2015. It was just a little side project, right? I think we all get involved and in, you're helping out your community in some capacity, form or fashion. So, so what was the moment that it went from just a donation to a movement? Why don't you tell me about that? Immediately within two days of my bra purchasing experience, I put it out on Facebook and I'm nobody. I'm literally just a suburban mom, soccer mom, minivan driving, every stereotype. That being said, I think that anyone can also stand up for what's right, regardless of who they are, what they are, that kind of element. I was particularly privileged and was able to really rally with my network when we realized that this was an issue and Dana's bra project didn't have enough cachet. And so within two days, I was like, we need another name. I want to be out of it. I put a Facebook page together, called it I support the girls because I was overwhelmed with the generosity of people who wanted to help and roll up their sleeves and dive into this project. And the first donation it was over a thousand bras and over 7,100 menstrual hygiene products to that shelter that I spoke with on that really hot July DC day. And I thought it, this was a one and done, right? I'm okay. I said what I was going to do. Everyone rallied Co- collectively. We did it. And now I'm wiping my hands. Okay, we're done, right? The Washington Post shared about this donation. I didn't let them interview me. I, they, they didn't come to my house. I didn't let them do it on my property. I said, I will meet you if you want the interview. We can do it on phone and I'll meet you at the shelter with the shelter's permission. They gave permission and you could talk to the folks receiving the product. Let's elevate their stories, right? You don't need a privileged white suburban woman's story is not the story here. I wanted to be behind the scenes. I said, let's elevate the shelter that's doing the good work and the folks that they are supporting and let's talk to them. It's not about me. The, the, the need is about that there's period poverty out there, that there's menstrual equity issues that are happening all around us, that women that I met are wearing old cracked leather belts to hold up their breasts because they don't have a bra because there's no bras in kind of the pipeline mm-hmm. in the, the shelters in 
places where folks are getting material goods. So you write this story and then what happened? The article comes out and I was actually presenting at a conference in Boston and I could see the writing on the wall. I couldn't keep up. My phone was crazy, no longer usable after the story came out. The, the DMs, the tweets, the emails, the phone calls, it was mind-numbing. I definitely didn't anticipate it. I hadn't prepared for that. I thought, yeah, okay, fine. There's going to be a couple of people saying, how do I donate? And maybe a DM on Facebook or Instagram. This is not a big deal. Before I left for Boston, I bought the domain, I supportthegirls.org. I basically created a website in text form, added, had photos and uh, frequently asked questions and left it for my husband at 5 a.m. and woke him up and said, honey, on your office chair, I need you before I land in Logan in Boston. I need you to create a website for me. I bought the domain. I emailed you all the instructions. I need you to, these are the pages I need. Here's the photos. Here's articles and resources if anybody needs and I'm begging you, I need you to cancel your plans today and make me a website. I love you. My cab was here. So wait, husband is a husband a de developer? How does husband No! Oh my God, no. Yeah, okay. No, 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 no. He's a brilliant, brilliant engineer and business professional and has no web development experience. <laughs> I love him dearly, but he is not being hired to build websites anytime soon. But he's really smart and he can take a task and he can get it done. Yeah, the website, I'm whispering, not that people couldn't hear. The website was crap, okay? He did, <laughs> he did what I asked, but what it did was when I landed, I was able to bucket the needs that people were saying right. into a, a series of different silos, categories, right? It was people who wanted to donate product. It was people who needed product. It was homeless shelters who wanted to get on a waiting list. I was like, waiting list? What do you guys... I have a full-time job. It's not this. What waiting list do you think you're getting on, people? Lo and behold... It worked because then I could just copy and paste. Thank you so much for your inquiry. I really appreciate you reaching out. I'm overwhelmed by Support. the love and the generosity. Please check out our website as if it was a thing. It wasn't a thing. But it, I pointed them to the FAQs because almost everybody fit into that category. The other thing is media started reaching out. And the media was really generous and helped us elevate the needs and, and talk about why homeless women in particular are often forgotten, why period poverty and menstrual equity is a thing, why girls in every state are missing school every single month because they don't have access to maxi pads when they have their period, why correctional facilities, jails and prisons are withholding maxi pads and tampons from their inmates. And these are human rights needs. And the platform afforded us to have these conversations that I feel are, our society was ready to really explode. So to date, you've collected and distributed uh, 1.2 million bras, 12.6 million menstrual hygiene products, and you work with 3,400 vetted partner organizations. We're and... actually higher than all of that. Um, uh, of course we... you are, by now, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the formation of the business structure and the movement, because all of a sudden you find yourself now leading a movement. Trust me. I did not at all think that That's this was right. going to be when a moment becomes a movement. And you can right. even hear the New York in my voice. So for anybody who's <laughs> listening, it was lightning in a bottle and it was just so much bigger than me. I was just really lucky to be in the right place at the right time with the right people. 
now you got the website and people are wanting to show support. You had a corporate job. So how do you all of a sudden become CEO that's going to mobilize all of these different kinds of people who want to support you into a way that actually is in service to the vision? How did you do that? And then what was the most difficult part of that? As people kept reaching out, wanting to contribute, I realized that there was different kinds of contribution and volunteer. And there's thought leadership, there's roll up your sleeves and and provide sweat equity. There's somebody who wants to donate products. There's someone who wants to make a financial donation. So there's all of these different kinds of supporters and partners. And I just started making lists. But very quickly, when it became a thing, I mentioned before, it wasn't just me. And so I think that's the most important thing to come back to is I immediately started reaching out to those who already reached out to me. And I just put on hold until I could think what's the right next step. And I brought everybody together for a series of meetings and brought in a moderator so that I could remove myself from the moderation and also sit back and listen and or contribute, but I didn't have to do both. And we hashed out a plan so that this could become a real nonprofit because they were calling me the bra fairy in the media, which was (laughs) cute, but this was so much bigger than that. Right. Right. I think they called Jennifer Weiss-Wolf. I think she's the tampon Avenger. Right. And I was talking about how my living room was filled from all the donations with maxi pad mountains and tampon towers bedroom was no longer usable. I have some great photos where you could barely open the guest bedroom door because the tampons and pads were almost up to the ceiling and bras were coming off the bed. You couldn't even see there was a bed. Yeah. So my whole family got involved and friends got involved who had all of these different skill sets, business strategy to nonprofit management, nonprofit development, fundraising, marketing, public relations, organization development, And I think that's what it comes down to is I was really lucky and I'm very fortunate and privileged to have an incredible group of friends in my social network or, and and people that were willing to just say, I'm here, how can I help? What was the hardest part about the organization or the rollout of this mission? Trying to keep up with all of the requests and the the communication demands were very high and still are. And I have another full-time job, the same job that I was doing before. Still? So I'm still doing both. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> How do you do that? It's, you're running a major organization here. That's crazy. It's not a side hustle. This is more than a side hustle. This is a full-time hustle, a global hustle, actually. I'm the founder and CEO of the other company. Ah, okay. So you're a serial so- entrepreneur is what you are. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like people think that billionaires are doing that. I'm not a billionaire. So I'm not in that category. I love what I do. I love it. We just celebrated our 13th anniversary. So I wasn't giving that up. I work really hard. I love it. Is there anything that you would say to someone who has an idea or gets an idea and is wondering whether or not it is important enough or big enough to carry through? Right off the bat, the very first thing I did after I realized that this was a thing that was bigger, way bigger than me, and hundreds of people were following this random Facebook page I put together, and 
I needed to see because people were having these conversations now in a public forum on Facebook, which again is just one social media platform. Now we're on all of them, but at the time it wasn't a thing. I just needed to get people off of my personal Facebook page. So that was the quick solution (laughs) that I was able to come up with. Right. I didn't know if this was, it wasn't being done in DC. I vetted that there was a need in DC. I found a place that needed these products here locally. What I didn't know once it blew up, was this a problem in other cities in the US? Let's just say US at the beginning, or was this just a DC thing? And were people generous? Why were they generous? Are they generous because the county I live in and the area I live in is a very generous kind of community? Is it because there's excess here? Is it, high? Is it because people here understood the need? So the need was communicated in such a way that people wanted to jump in. What were the different variables that I could then remove, including myself, to vet if this is a need in other cities? So I wound up doing four pilot studies. So if somebody has an interest, running a pilot study to see if your idea, your product, your service that you offer, whether it's for-profit or non-profit is doable, run some pilot studies, talk to people. So I started talking to people. I ran pilot studies in four other cities. And when you're running the pilot study, are you hiring a company to do this? Are you setting it up? No, some of those volunteers that had reached out who wanted to do this in their communities, I vetted four people, they sent me their resumes. We did job interviews. This is total volunteer. I had no money. I wasn't, this wasn't a thing back then. <laughs> right. So if you want to do this, you want to volunteer? Okay, I'm going to treat it like a real job. And of so course. we did that. And I put together a tips and tricks guidebook and some frequently asked questions and talked to them on the phone several times. And they all superseded expectations and everyone did way better than I did in the collections. And what I realized was, It was not just a thing in my community, it was a thing now in these four other different U.S. cities, kind of coast to coast. And so that was another thing that I did. They're going out to homeless shelters and they're asking the homeless shelters, oh, hey, do you have this problem too? Right. And then they were hosting then collections and drives in Knoxville and Cleveland and Indianapolis, et cetera. Perfect. And so they were getting the products to provide them to the local social service agencies in need in their communities. And the other thing that I, I wound up doing was benchmarking. So if somebody's interested, they have an idea, I would recommend that they benchmark. Does this idea exist in the world? Does this idea exist in your community, in your city, in your state, right? Is this something that already exists? Because reinventing the wheel, let's get creative there. What I found at the time was this didn't exist in the US the way I envisioned it. There was a small group that really collected and donated in a certain pocket of New Jersey. Right. And there was a group that was doing it in the UK and South Africa at the time Mm -hmm. and outside of Houston, Texas, but keeping it very hyper-local. The inbox that I was receiving, I was thinking, what if we think big and we make this scalable? So to date, we now have 59 affiliates or chapter locations. So I support the girls Australia and I support the girls Pakistan and I support the girls Germany and I support the girls Dallas and I support the girls Indianapolis and Detroit and so on to 59 different global cities because it was scalable. It was built to be scalable. Amazing. And the need is everywhere, which is what I anticipated, but also researched and buttressed by that research. Mm. Any people not buying the cause? 
No, occasionally there have been some men who are like, why are you focused on maxi pads and bras or tampons and underwear when you could be helping people with food insecurity or providing shelter? I do occasionally get that question from time to time. And usually it's by somebody who identifies as a man. I think it's a short-sighted question, right? Why don't you, right? I'm, do, I'm staying in my lane, I, right? We collectively have created an amazing movement and have programs in place to solve this one little thing. So I know providing these bras or tampons isn't solving homelessness or domestic violence or making a refugee life easier, but maybe it's helping them for a day. Maybe it's helping them for a short moment for that young woman to be able to stay in math class that day or that week. So they have products they need or a child in the foster care system to be able to have the products they need. It's not solving any of these major important global needs. I, I yeah, you see, and this is where I think we get confused about what is important or what isn't important. Correct. And so I often say, Kim, the small things are really the big things. It's the layers. It's the layer upon layer of small things. It's the small things that have not been considered previously, especially by the leadership, which has been predominantly male. Because in, especially when we interviewed Laura, talking about the male legislators' reaction to some of this is, okay, we'll pass it. We don't want to talk about it anymore. So there are issues. I see this again with uh, women entrepreneurs in this moment, bringing to the conversation topics that were previously taboo, but only taboo because they were related to our sex. They had nothing to do with being a man. And so they were taboo topics, but now they're everyday topics for us. So do you believe that there is such a thing as feminine leadership? And if yes, how would you qualify it? I don't know if it's feminine leadership. I will say that not a total generalization, not for everyone, but overall, I think Women's networks are different. Women network differently. Women leaders network differently. And I think that can be both in style and in function. And because of that, I think who they're bringing to the table, who they're, who are those contributors who are forming that thought leadership collective as a team is different than how men lead. And again, it's not for every man. It's not that doesn't go for everyone who identifies a man or everyone who identifies as a woman. But I do think that there are some differences. And so right off the bat, my first one is that women network differently. And because of that, the key players that they bring to the table, whether it's their employees, their board of directors, their clients, whomever those key stakeholders may be, sometimes look different there's a whole lot of intersectionality in the world right now and it's important and relevant and it's always existed but we're calling it out and naming it and showing and proving why things that women were previously accused of it's in your head or you're just crazy or whatever no these are invisible inequities that we are facing on a day-to-day basis that actually prevent us from being in the world in in full capacity in the way that we need to. And I think the statistics on homeless women 
some of which we've already spoken about. But I was reading a story about how a woman had grown hair on her body, fine hair on her body because of all the stomach issues she was having from being homeless and being a victim of violence. And so just the, the, the inhumaneness of it all, it's overwhelming. It makes it even harder to have these conversations to elevate awareness when not only is it hidden, as you mentioned, Kim, but it's also taboo, right? We'll talk about ant flow or you carry at the prom or riding the cotton pony. There's euphemisms just to have to say the word per- about period or menstruation and how often people will slip a tampon or a pad up their sleeve to run to the restroom. I'm not saying wave it around a flag, yeah, but yeah. like it's not something we should be embarrassed about. We're just at the tipping point here in the US because I think of American women have more advantage and power than women in other countries in this moment still in certain parts of the world. And so if this is a need here where we do have that amount of power, imagine in those countries where women's rights are not on the table in the way that they need to be. And where violence, which is the number one thing that impacts women around the world. I remember watching a very senior politician give an interview talking about how she had met somebody's wife who was the in a domestic violence situation, even at that level. So it goes across all levels. It's incredible. Totally. Yeah, it really is. And our I Support the Girls Pakistan affiliate, who is outside of Islamabad, is dealing with an, a totally different problem set and issues to contend with on top of the women and girls she's supporting menstruate every month. That's, there's a commonality there anywhere in the world, right? The need for bras, it might be the same, but there's different access issues and other challenges. And so she goes out there and she also talks about women's health and managing your health and hygiene in a very different way because the education is different. We ask everyone who is a guest to complete this question. My wish for every other woman is? Happiness. Beautiful. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at voicelessonspodcast.com. Voice Lessons.